Um, so tonight, so excited. I know some of you guys have already heard Pastor Marcus speak, but tonight he is bringing it. He actually um, asked for my permission earlier today. Can I bring it? Like, really bring it? And I was like... Yeah, bring it. <laughs> so he may be bold. He may be in your face. He may say some things that might offend you. But listen, he's got permission to do so. And so <laughs> you might get a little bit uncomfortable. But I'm telling you what he has to say is going to be the truth tonight. And so we're really excited to have him here. So let's just give a warm welcome to Pastor Marcus. How y'all doing? You hear me all right? If you hear me, say, I hear you. you. All right, y'all hear me. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, so, uh, yeah. Wow. Man, worship was like the bomb. As our sister Janae would say, the bomb.com. It was the bomb. Woo! Man, God is in this place. God is in this place, beloved. You know, I want to say something before I even get into the message tonight. I want you to begin to to turn your hearts right now towards the Lord. I want you to approach even when I when I preach right now, I want you to have a heart that is that is open. You know, it doesn't make any sense to come all the way out here and be closed. It doesn't make any sense to come all the way out to this retreat center that is out in like like I, I went off on the wrong stop on my way here this morning and I got off at like Bulguang or whatever, whatever it's called. And I thought that Bulguang is it Bulguang. My Korean is the bomb. All right. Whatever. Some of y'all like Bulguang. <laughs> whatever, whatever. I got off on that, that stop because I thought I'd went all the way. And it turned out there was one more stop that I needed to go on. Dokbawi or whatever it's called. Don't don't judge my Korean. I love you too, Mr. Aaron. I mean, don't, you know, I want you to have your hearts open tonight. Because it doesn't make any sense to pay all this money to come to a retreat, come all the way out here, and then not expect to encounter God. It doesn't make any sense to come all the way out here and be apathetic. It doesn't make any sense to come all the way out here and just sit there closed. You were better off staying at home. I'm telling you the truth because God wants to encounter you. God wants to reach inside your life and he wants to bring out the things that don't need to be there. And he wants to put in the things that need to be there. This retreat was about what? 180, right? Talking about a 180 all the time. 180, 180, 180. But I don't want you to leave this place only making a 90 degree turn. You need to make a 180 tonight. You need to leave this place saying that by the end of this retreat, I made a full 180. Whatever I was facing when I came to this retreat, when I came here, I encountered God and I turned the full way around. Please don't leave the same way you came. And if you leave the same way you came, it's not God's fault. If you leave the same way you came, it's not God's fault. Y'all like, man, Pastor Marcus, calm down. You're all you're all cool a second ago. Before you got up here, man, I, I loved you. Now I don't even want to make eye contact with you. you... <laughs> the reason I say this is because God loves you. And he desires for your life more than what you've experienced. So I was kind of meditating on what I was supposed to preach about. What the Lord wanted me to preach about. And I. I realized when I came that that Pastor Aaron preached about the father. And then I sit here this morning and Matt preaches about the son and the verse, you know, everyone knows the verse Malachi four, six. Right. And he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. 
And it was funny because I'm like, okay, all right. So there's been a message about the heart of the father turned towards the son. And there's been a, a message about the heart of the sons turning to the fathers. What's left? <laughs> like, what? Uh, there's not much else right there. But then as I begin to meditate more and more on what the Lord had for tonight, I realized that what he had for you tonight is so key in making that full 180. That if you don't get this tonight, if you don't get this tonight, you will have heard a message about the father. You would have heard a message about the son. And then you would have went home. You had this the forgiveness seminar. The experience would have ended. Your tears would have already dried and been wiped away. You have washed your face. The experience is over. And you're back to doing the same things you were doing before you came. You're back to feeling the same way you felt before you came. What I want you to do, right? I want everyone to put their hand on their heart. I want you to pray for yourself. I'm not going to say a prayer. I want you to pray for yourself. And I want you to pray that God will open up your heart. I want you to pray that God would would give you courage in this moment courage to confront yourself i want you to pray that god would give you the courage to commit to a 180 tonight all right so let's pray begin to pray give them, Lord God, the heart, Father. You would give them the commitment, Father God, to turn, Father, a full 180 tonight, Father God. We don't want any 90 returns, Father. And we don't want any 360s, God. We want the 180, God. We want to be turned. Father, I pray for tonight, God. I pray right now, Lord, that you would move upon every heart, God. Every heart that's been hard. Every heart that's been bitter. Every heart that's been broken, every heart, God, that's been closed. Father, I pray that you would begin to move right now and you will begin to open up hearts. I pray that, God, you would begin to increase our faith tonight. Father, our faith is not in me. Our faith is not in anyone sitting beside us. God, our faith is in you. And God, we put our hope in you tonight, God, that you, Lord, would change us. Lord, we came all this way to be changed. We didn't come all this way to hang out. We could have did that somewhere else, God. We came, God, to be changed. So, Lord, may you change us tonight. I pray, God, that you would bless the preaching of your word. I pray that you would bless everything that goes out tonight, God. Lord, really, God, may it bear a harvest tonight. Lord, we want a harvest tonight, God. Yes, Lord. That, Father, our lives would be different, God, tonight. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the thing that the Lord had pressed upon me is that, you know, you when the heart of the father is turned towards the son and the heart of the father has always been turned towards you. Right. You realize that. Right. That God's heart has never been turned away from you. His heart has always been turned towards you. He longs to be gracious to you. He longs to show you his kindness and steadfast love and mercy. And then the hearts of the sons being turned towards the father. We talked about sonship. Dr. Walker was talking a lot about sonship. I'm honoring him. I call him Dr. Walker. Dr. Walker preached an amazing message and he talked about sonship. And your sonship, a lot of people are like, well, what's sonship? I don't know what's sonship. Your sonship is defined by who your father is. And it means that you're fully accepted. You're fully loved. You're fully covered. You're fully provided for. But see... <coughs> The problem is, is that some, a lot of us know that we, the father has turned towards us and we begin to turn our hearts toward the father, but we don't understand what it's all about. We don't understand the big picture. We don't understand the whole, the full range of what God is really trying to do in our lives by calling us to turn our hearts to him. And it's about this one thing. And it's that you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Do you know what an inheritance is? An inheritance is something that is passed down to you by your father. 
because you are his son. An inheritance is something that is given to you that you cannot earn. Actually, in the Hebrew, the word for inheritance is, is nachalam. Everyone say nachalam. Yeah, put that high in there. Nachalam. And the root word of it is nahal. Everyone say nahal. And that word means to inherit. But that word also means flow. It also means like a river, like the rains that are falling. It means that it just flows down. And you can't work to make the rain fall. And in the same way, you can't work to make the inheritance flow into your life. An inheritance is something that is given to you because of who you are. But the problem is that, and you know, I'm going to just speak. I'm going to be real with you tonight. So I'm going to speak to you. I like, usually when I preach, I, I speak in generalities. I like to say the body of Christ and, you know, believers out there. I'm going to speak to you. You all right with that? The problem is, is that you live ignorant of your inheritance. The problem is that we live ignorant of the fact that God has given us an inheritance and ignorant of our true inheritance from God. You know, when you live a life that is ignorant of your inheritance, it only causes you to live two ways. It causes you to live in rebellion and it causes you to live in religion. You live in rebellion and you live in religion. I want everyone to open up your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to talk about a a really famous uh, parable here. I'm going to speak about it very briefly. And it's the, it's, well, not a parable, but a story. It's a story of the prodigal son. You know, when you live a life that is ignorant of your inheritance and you live a life ignorant of what God has really meant for your life. That's what I'm talking about when I say inheritance. You live in rebellion and you live in religion. And when I say rebellion, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about someone who goes outside of the father's house, goes outside of God's covering, goes outside of the will and plan for God's life on your life. And you begin to seek other people to provide for you, to affirm you, to make you feel good. To try and give you an inheritance. That's rebellion. And religion, I'm not talking about like. So many people nowadays, we use religion in such a broad scope, right? And we even think that Christianity is a religion. But religion is really, we think that religion is a set of beliefs that we adhere to. But religion is not that. Religion is actually a set of works that you adhere to to try and gain the favor of God. That's why many Christians in the body of Christ, they walk around and they're trying to adhere to a certain set of rules. And they're they're afraid that if they ever leave those rules, God will reject them. But I want you to know that's not Christianity. That's Islam. We got a lot of Christian Muslims. And people living in rebellion. So they go outside the church and they go outside and they use the cross as a license to sin. Because they, they ultimately believe that God will reject them. God hates them. And so they'll work and work and work for other people to affirm them. And I know what that is. That's atheism. And there's a lot of Christians who act like atheists. Religion and rebellion. We see in the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my estate. Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. 
And what his father did, his father gave it to him. He went to the father actually wanting his inheritance, but the father didn't give him his inheritance. He just gave him some money. And you see that the prodigal son was living in rebellion because the first thing that the prodigal son does is he goes out and he begins to waste it all. And you know what it says he wasted it all on? Loose living. You know what? A lot of the scholars, when they think about when they talk about this word loose living, they talk about how the prodigal son probably went out. He probably spent all his money on alcohol, on the parties, on prostitutes. And then he ended up eating the pig slop. He was in rebellion in his heart. He was going out trying to get his own inheritance. Then you have the older son. The older son is sitting inside the father's house and he's slaving away and he's slaving away and he's working and he's working and he's working. And, you know, whenever the prodigal son comes back, the the father sees him, he runs to him, he grabs him and he's like, yo, we're going to have a barbecue. Go get the fattened calf. You know, we're going to grill it. We're going to have a great party. We're going to have a great time. We're celebrating the fact that the son is back. And the funny thing is, is that the father says that the son was lost and has been found. If you're living like a prodigal son. Are you really found? Are you lost? But the older brother, when the prodigal son comes back and the older brother sees him and they have this huge party, the older brother gets upset. And he says, how could, how dare you have a party for him? How dare you have a barbecue for him? I've been in your house the entire time. I've done all my Bible studies. I've done all my QTs. I've got it on my chart. I've marked it all down. I'm such a good Christian. But the entire reason that they're being such a good Christian is because they believe that the father hates them. He's ignorant of the fact that he even has an inheritance. He doesn't even know that, that the father wants to give him something that's greater than his own self and what he can do. And the funny thing is, is actually, is that a lot of people and a lot of us who are religious end up becoming rebellious because they're very related. Many of you, I'm sure you can understand, you grew up in the church. You grew up under maybe people who are over you and they wanted you to just do and adhere to these specific set of rules over and over and over and over. And before you knew it, you got really bitter and you got really bitter. And then after a while, you decided, you know, what? I'm done with this Christian life. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go make my own life for myself. I still come out on Sundays, though, to make myself feel better. And living in rebellion and in religion. But the reason why people live in rebellion and religion is because they're ignorant of their inheritance. And they don't know that God, God has more for you than what you can dream for yourself. It says in his word that he is able to do abundantly more than what we ask or imagine. God intends to put you over things that are so large and so big. I believe that tonight, many of you are going to receive your calls. I believe that tonight, people are going to pray for you. And it's going to be bringing confirmation for the words that God has already been speaking to your heart. You know, the reason why the prodigal son left and went in rebellion is because there was dreams on his heart. But he thought that if he stayed in the father's house any longer... He would not see those dreams fulfilled because he thought he didn't have an inheritance. And then the older son was in the house being so religious and he got so bitter because he knew and he thought I'm being so faithful, but my dreams are still not being fulfilled. But he didn't know that there was an inheritance. The father said, all that I have is yours. And it's because they had a spirit of poverty on them. You know, when I say spirit of poverty, I'm not talking about some demon that you got to be in the name of Jesus, spirit of poverty, go. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to be, we ain't going to be casting out a spirit of poverty. But the word poverty in the Latin, it comes from a word where we get the word pauper. 
And it means to be in a continual state of want, a continual state of lack, a continual state of need. Where everything you do, everything that you think, everything that happens in your life is defined by the fact that you lack and you want and you desire and you need. And the word spirit, while we use the word spirit, it doesn't always just mean like the Holy Spirit, but it also just means a means or a way in which you present yourself and you live. And I'd say many of us have been living continually defined by want, by lack, by need. You know, when a spirit, when a person lives in a a poverty spirit or a spirit of poverty, what ends up happening is that you end up being convinced that your lack is your wealth. You begin to be convinced that the place where you are lacking is actually your strength. Yeah, I'm really angry inside, but you know what? I'm tough. It makes me tough. No, it don't make you tough. It makes you hurt. It makes you broken. You need healing. I see so many people that front all the time. They act like they're so tough. They're just really, really broken. But they live in a spirit of poverty. So they think that their lack is their And you know, when your lack is your wealth, you can't go any higher than your lack. When you think that your anger is your strength, you will always be angry. You think that your bondage is freedom. So you're walking around addicted enslaved things that you thought were cool that you were looking at and you were dabbling in and before you knew it you couldn't get free from it but now you still think that it's freedom you still think that you're modeling freedom for people when you're in bondage that's the spirit of poverty I want you to think tonight I want you to examine your heart tonight And see, what happens is when a spirit of poverty comes upon you, even the inheritance, even the rights that God has given to you, you will give away. I talked about these two sons. I talked about the prodigal son and the older son, right? I want to talk about two other sons. I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 25. If you don't know where the book of Genesis is, you need to ask somebody. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) You guys with me? I want to talk about these two sons and their names are Jacob and Esau. (coughs) If you don't know about Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Esau, um, Isaac and Rebecca. So Rebecca obviously got pregnant. She was pregnant with twins. You know, she was like, you know, huge with like 42 child children. She and I had the two children, the twins, the big child. And she has the kids. It's all right. I, I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Janae feels me. I want us to all, I want us to all look at, um, at verses. Well, she has, she has Jacob and Esau. And they're twins. But Esau comes out first. By comes out, I mean Esau was birthed first. All right. Esau was birthed. I, I realized I realized come out was kind of a graphic term. I'm sorry. Esau was birthed first. He was like, you know, yeah. He, right before Jacob came Esau. You know, so he was first in line. And because he was first in line, that meant he had the birthright. That means he had the right to the inheritance. That meant that 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 Esau in in the culture was supposed to get the blessing from Isaac. And I want us to look. I want us to look at verses twenty-seven. We're gonna we're gonna just read all the way down to verses thirty-four. I'll read it out. I want you to read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to look alongside someone. When the boys grew up. 
I'm reading from the NASB. It doesn't matter what translation you read from. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Come on. Like Esau was a hunter. Esau's out all the time doing all this work. And what's Jacob doing? And Jacob's chilling. He just he just in the tents. You know what I mean? Like Jake, Jacob just in the tents, just chilling. Like, Keep getting that food, Esau. I love Jacob. Jacob was chilling. He was a peaceful man living in tents. You know, he's like Andy. He's just chilling. So peaceful. So peaceful. So peaceful. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game or because he liked what Esau would bring in as a hunter. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. He was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me have some of that red stuff there, that kimchi chige. Let me have some of that for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first Sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So what of, of what use then is the birthright to me? Let's stop there. Esau had been given an inheritance. But Esau said, of what good is it to me? Esau didn't understand the true value of his inheritance. Esau didn't understand that that he was entitled to so much more. And you know why? It was because Esau had a spirit of poverty on him. And it was defined by the fact that he was and it came from the fact of him being fatherless, from the fact that he was religious, that he had to work for everything that he had. Go back up a couple verses where it says. That Esau became a skillful hunter, right? Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah, she just loved Jacob. You know, Esau and his relationship with Isaac was continually defined by the fact of whether or not Esau brought in good game. If Esau brought in something that was bad, man, this meat, you know, he didn't feel loved. Think about it. The whole reason why Isaac loved Esau was just because of what Esau could do. So many of us think that God loves us simply by what we can do. We think that people love us simply by what we can do. And because he had this and because he felt this way, when Jacob came to him, he was exhausted. He had been working. He had been striving. He had been trying so hard. But what, what meant more to Esau than his inheritance was getting a bowl of stew, was getting some of this kimchi chige, was just gratifying the desires of his flesh. Many of us gratify the desires of our flesh and we sell our birthright. I want you to know Jacob in the Hebrew, it means heal or one who deceives. Jacob's name meant deceiver. And the deceiver comes to us and he gives us a bowl of soup. He gives us something that's really small. And he says, here. And you're so tired and you're so beat down because you're so you're needing affection and you're needing someone to tell you that, you know what, you're loved and the things that you do are right and that you're good and everything that you're provided for. You need it so bad that you forget that God has given you an inheritance. You don't even realize that God has given you an inheritance. And so the fact that you are famished becomes your God. The fact that you need that stew so bad is what you give yourself up for. And what ends up happening is that you end up being defined by that, by that very thing. You end up being defined by the thing that you sold yourself for. It says that Esau after that was called Edom, meaning red. 
Esau's, Esau became defined by the things that he was giving himself to rather than his birthright. You know, it just starts, it just starts with a little bowl of soup. But it always ends up in rebellion, religion, and bondage. It, it starts out with just one little look at pornography on the internet. And then before you know it, you're in full-fledged bondage. Before you know it, you're sleeping with prostitutes. Before you know it, you're fully promiscuous. And before you know it, you're cheating on your wife. All because of that bowl of soup. You had sold your inheritance for that bowl of soup. And now that bowl of soup defines who you are. It starts out with just that that little toke. It starts out with that little toke. It starts out with that little that little that little swig of drink. A little bit. Throw back a beer or two. It's just a little bit. Then before you know it, you're you're in you're in full fledged alcoholism. And your children become alcoholics. And even, even your, your entire family ends up being destroyed because of that little bowl of soup. And that bowl of soup ends up becoming your inheritance. That ends up being what you're known by. That ends up being what you pass down to your children. That ends up, and then but what happens is that Satan comes in and he begins to tell you that those things, that lack is really your freedom. That's your wealth. He comes in and he begins to tell you, you know what? Hey, man, don't don't listen to what that guy's saying. man. You're just having a good time. You're just having fun, man. Not understanding that that very thing. Is bondage. That very thing is lack. That very thing is poverty. When there's a better way. Beloved, God has given you a better way. You know, God has purposed you. To inherit so much that he doesn't want you to sell it for something as small as a bowl of soup. I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 2. The book of Psalms. Chapter 2. I'm going to read it from verse seven to eight. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. The Lord says you are his son. Today, I have begotten you today. I have birthed you today. I have made you like me. That's what begat means. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Man, some of you guys, you dream way too small. You dream way too small. When the Lord has purposed to give you nations, the Lord has purposed for you and your life and what you do to be a gift to thousands, to, to millions. You know, I was, I was talking with one of the brothers here and he was talking about how he has a passion to just to, to care for children and specifically children that are autistic. And when I was speaking to him, I just felt something deep inside of me that the Lord was just saying, you know what? He's going to reach so many people through that. It's not just going to reach autistic children. It's going to reach an entire nation through that. There's many of you. Whom the Lord has set apart. For entire nations. For North Korea. To bring down concentration camps. To bring down human trafficking. You know there are more people trafficked right now in human history than any other time. And you're messing around with a bowl of soup. You're messing around with little things that 
are going to define you when you could be defined by your inheritance, when you could be defined by changing an entire nation, when you could be defined by setting generations free. You're getting in bondage. You're setting yourself up to be a slave. And you won't be the ones who have to pay for it. It'll be your children and your children's children. But he wants to give you the nations as your inheritance. That all the world will be blessed by you. And I don't say this just to be saying it. I don't even like yelling. I say it because I believe it with my whole heart. But if you continue to stay in this place of poverty, what you will find is that you will continue to be poor. And poor people can't give anybody anything. You don't go to a poor person asking for money. You don't go to a person who's enslaved asking for freedom. You know what? If you you stay in that place of bondage, beloved, and you will be irrelevant. People like to talk about Christians as being irrelevant, but that's a lie. Because you know what? When I walk into a bar, people know I'm different. When I walk into a bar and I have a conversation with someone, they get changed. How about you? Are you just another person that they meet? Will anybody have remembered that you were there? Irrelevant. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Light of the world means when you walk into dark places that they notice you. It means when you, you know what? When you walk into a dark place and you cut on a flashlight, the entire room gets illuminated. But if you sell your inheritance and you give that away and you give these things away, you walk into a dark room and and the room stays dark. You know, ever I wanted to talk, I wanted to give, there was something that the Lord put on my heart. You know, I believe that that Jesus is coming soon. And I don't care whether you believe it or not. Because when he comes, he comes. Uh, I mean, when he comes, he comes. I mean, like, you know, I ain't going to turn to you and be like, I told you so. I'm just be like, oh, you're here. Because you, you ain't even going to be looking at me like, Marcus, you were right. You were like, oh, he's here. But I wanted to, t- I want, I felt like the Lord wanted to, to show you and wanted to, to speak to you about the spirit of poverty. And there's specific examples that he wanted to give. And one example, <coughs> and I'm going to give it from my own background and my own people, is in, that, is in the black community. Me and Janae are the only, well, only ones, you know, colored up in this space. But you're going to see what I'm talking about. No, I mean, none of you guys are, are black, obviously. <laughs> but I want you to know that this is, uh, there won't be too many yo-yos after this. I want you to know that this is not, that the African-American culture or whatever is a subculture and it's, it's in, an embodiment of what you see everywhere. Korean culture is just the same. The spirit of poverty exists everywhere. The world is defined by want and lack and need. But I'm going to give you a history lesson because I felt like I should. Because I'm tired of people walking up to me being like, what's up, homie? Just kidding. I know, I, I, I made everybody uncomfortable. Everybody's like, oh, snap. <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
Hello, Pastor Marcus. How are you doing? So, in about four or five hundred years ago, what started was the African slave trade. And so what you had was hundreds of millions of Africans being being sold as slaves and being trans and being brought about into Europe, being brought into America, into the Caribbean, into South America, all throughout. And you had tons and tons of people. They say that almost they say over 40 million people died just in transit. And what you found was that you had all these black people, all these Africans that well, I'll say African-Americans, whatever, in in America. I'm going to talk about America specifically. And they worked as slaves on plantations. They worked on slave, as slaves on plantations. What plantations were were these huge fields where they had the produce, where they had cotton, where they had all these different types of vegetation livestock that they grew. And what they had was the master would bring in all these slaves, tons of slaves, and he would have them work the livestock. And then when they would work the livestock, they would sell the livestock and sell the produce and they would sell it so the master could make a profit. Right. But then what was given to the slaves to eat. Was the leftovers, what they couldn't sell. It was the parts that weren't good for you. It was like the pig's feet. Koreans eat pig's feet. It was the. It was the intestines of a pig. It was the the different areas of of an animal that they didn't want to sell because they no one wanted to buy it. Who was wanting to buy pig's feet? And also what they would eat was they would eat the weeds that were around the places where they lived because they couldn't eat the livestock. So they would eat the they would eat these bitter greens. And they what they would do is they would take them and they would have to saturate them with with vinegar and with sugar just so that they would be edible. And what happened was these were the things that these people used to eat as slaves. And they weren't, they're not good for you. But they're still the same things that black people eat today. And it's still not good for you. In the African-American community, black people have like the highest rate of diabetes, of heart, of, of high blood pressure, of, of, uh, you know, heart attacks. They have like, they have of kidney failure. They have the highest rates of all these things in America. And the reason is because they're eating slaves food. They're ignorant of the fact that there was a better way. So many of us, we're still eating slaves food. We're still doing and eating and taking part of the things that we used to take part in when we were slaves. And we think it's still good for us. But it's that bowl of soup that you're selling for your inheritance. It's that thing that you're sacrificing for your inheritance. I'll give you another example. After after the. After the the slaves were free, we had this. There was this period of time called Reconstruction, and they had this Reconstruction was defined by these things called Jim Crow laws. And so, what they did in in that period of time is they segregated the black people and they put them in certain areas around the city. So they put them either in the outskirts in the areas of the city that were really bad land, or they put them in the center where they where they didn't want to be either. And so they would put the different black people in different areas of of the city. And this happened throughout for over 50 years. And that what happened over time is that these areas began to get more and more impoverished, more and more beat down. They began to get more and more, I guess, because there were there were no opportunities for the people there in that in that area. So they began to be called ghettos. Everyone likes to talk about being ghetto. You know, the word ghetto comes from the areas by which they used to put the Jews in Germany. Being ghetto. There's a better way. And then what you, and then what happened after that was that there was so much. What happened is drugs and fatherlessness and just people being beat down and, and destroyed in these communities begin to happen. And there was so much social ills in these areas and the people were essentially slaves in these ghettos. And so what they used to do is they used to get outside and they would they would begin to do something. It's similar to spoken word, right? They used to rap. They used to freestyle. 
and they used to speak this freestyle and they used to do it back and forth and it was this way that they could express themselves because they had no other way of expressing themselves. They People would drink heavily and take drugs in order to escape the horrors of their condition. And they and then what ended up happening is that the music that they were making began to reflect all the horrors of the community that they were in. And so in order to feel better about the fact that they were living in poverty and that their streets and their cities were drugged and filled with with prostitution and filled with people with lack of education. They began to exalt the fact that they couldn't speak properly because they didn't have proper education. They began to exalt the fact that their that their ghettos were filled with drugs. They began to exalt the fact. It became their wealth. Their bondage became their expression of freedom. I know I'm putting my own people on blast. But I do so because. Many of you live the same way. To feel better about your lack, to feel better about bondage. But there is a better way. What you used to do as slaves isn't appropriate anymore. What you used to do when you did not know Jesus Christ is not appropriate anymore. The way that you used to live your life is not appropriate anymore because there's a better way. And when he says turn, he means a full turn. Jesus said in his word, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not for service in the kingdom of God. But so many of us have our hands to the plow. We sing the worship songs. But every so often we're looking back. But there is a better way, beloved. He has given you an inheritance that is without spot or blemish. He has desired for you to inherit the nations as your own. You know, there's other promises that are found in the Bible that are included in our inheritance. Did you know that? I want you to turn to Isaiah. Chapter 54, verse 17. I'm just going to read it. It says, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage or the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Those of you that have been walking around broken and hurt and always having to exalt your bondage and exalt the fact that someone else has hurt you. You don't have to do that any longer. Because the Lord says, I am your protection. I am your vindication. It says in Philippians chapter four, it says that he will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That means that you ain't ha- you don't have to walk around tight fisted. You don't have to walk around worrying about how you will eat, what you will drink. Because as you seek the kingdom first, he will provide for all your needs. You know, yesterday, and I felt like this was a sign and the Lord wanted me to share with you. Yesterday, I went to the ATM, and I went to the ATM, and I was going to get out some cash, and I, I, I took out, like, I think I took out, like, Imanon. I took out Imanon, and then up comes the balance, right? And it was, like, $15, and I thought, like, I had, like, a lot more in there. You ever had those moments? You're like, oh, you're like, ah! I was like, I'm broke! Ah! You know, I was like, oh, what am, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And immediately what, what began to happen is I began to think of ways in which I could try and figure out this thing for myself. Ways that I could maybe provide for myself. Things that I could figure out for myself that I could, could provide. Get my own provision. But it was so funny. I felt later on that night, I was just like, well, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know, you know, whatever. You know. I'm at the prayer meeting and a sister walks up to me and she's just like, here. Here. It's like an envelope. 
I hope this is not a love letter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not. I'm not that prideful. Wow. Ah! Oh, conviction! <laughs> I'm just messing around. I'm messing around. But I get that. I get that letter, and I open it up, and it says, "Daddy just wanted to give this to you," and it was Shimana. And I was like, it was a hundred. It was a hundred bucks. And I was like, wow. And in that very moment, what I heard the spirit of the Lord saying to me is, Marcus, you are my son. You have an inheritance. You know, in heaven, there is no lack. In heaven, there is no poverty. We draw from a source that is greater than this. It says in Isaiah 61 that we would eat from the wealth of the nations. That in their glory we would boast. That all the, all the wealth of the wicked that has been stored up will be given to us, the righteous. All our needs will be met. Because we are his children. He is our father. You know. What God was impressing upon me is that you and I are living in the most crucial hour in human history. We are living in the most the most crucial time. This is like the pinnacle moment so far in human history. You know, things have never been as dark. You know, like I said about human trafficking, like we talk about North Korea, you know, even even what you see happening in even in America, they say in California right now that the second largest group of people that are being human trafficked into California is Koreans. Do you know that? Koreans. That. You know, all across the world right now, we seeing we're seeing oppression, we're seeing people getting, you know, beat down, broken. But it's in those very moments where you and I are called to shine. It's in those very moments that you and I are called to rise up. It's in those very moments where you and I are called to put off the former things. To put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to put on the new self, which is being made and being made new in the attitude of our minds to be like God. And true righteousness and holiness. And to take that everywhere we go. I want you to start dreaming bigger about your inheritance. I want you to start believing that God has more for you than what you have been believing for yourself. Because that's your inheritance. And that's what you're going to receive. Like I said, the same word for inherit is to flow, right? So it's just going to flow onto your life. The question is, are you going to sell this birthright? Or are you going to step into it? I want us to go into a time of prayer right now. Let's bow our heads. Just, just the back. Keep these on. Yeah, that's good. I believe that there's some of you who have been living. And, you know, I want you to know my heart as I, as I speak these things to you. I know that this is a hard word. And I know that these things cut. And these things cause you to start evaluating the way that you've been living your life. And I don't say these things in order to condemn you. I say these things so that you may turn and be set free. I say these things so that you may step into your rightful place, step into your inheritance. You know that God never reveals anything in your life unless he wants to deliver you from it. God never opens up and he never speaks on things that are happening in your heart unless he intends to touch it. Unless he intends for you to go above and beyond it. 
I believe that there's some of you who have been living in rebellion. And it's because you believe that the Father hates you. And you believe that the Father doesn't want what's best for your life. Maybe because someone else wasn't a good father to you. Or someone else beat you down. Or someone else broke you. And so like Esau, you, you felt exhausted. You felt like, you know what, I've done everything I can do. And so you begin to turn to the world for affirmation, for acceptance, for fulfillment. And you sold your birthright. But I believe God. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, he said, behold, I make all things new. And I believe that no matter what mistakes you've made, God wants to make all things new tonight. And I believe that God wants to release you from the things that you've done in the past. Release you from those things that have defined you and begin to redefine you into your destiny. But it takes courage. And I believe that there's some of you who have been living in rebellion, in in religion. Ignorant of your inheritance. And in that same way, you've gotten to a point where you're, you're too so bitter. But I believe that tonight the Lord wants to come and he just wants to show you that it's not by might. It's not by your power. It's only by spirit. It's only by him. So right now, if you feel like that's you and you want to make a full 180 away from this life of religion, away from this life of rebellion. I want you to just stand to your feet. I want everyone to close your eyes. And whoever, if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. And I want you to be bold. I don't want you to be like a, a little coward who allows the looks and the fear of man to decide God's call for your life. I want you to begin to rise up into the person that God has called you to be. Because he sent you in the kingdom for such a time as this. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, you have set them in the kingdom for such a time as this. You have set them in the kingdom, God, for such a time as this. Jesus. I'm going to tell you what needs to happen right now, beloved. Repentance means 180. 180 means repentance. I want you to know that the greatest revivals that have ever taken place, the greatest revivals that have ever shaken nations have all happened because people were courageous enough to make a full 180. And I believe that God wants to bring revival in your life. I believe, I believe that God wants to bring revival into your family. I believe that God wants to bring revival into your campuses. But it comes as we make a full 180. So I want you, this is the altar. And I want you to come up to the front if you're standing. And I want you to begin to lay your life down before the Lord. Because what needs to happen is the repentance. Saying, God, God, I have been living in religion. God, I have been living in rebellion. I've been living like an orphan, God, who did not know that you loved me, did not know that you really sent your son, God, for me, not just so that I would have eternal life in heaven, but that my life would be defined by eternal life here on earth. That everywhere I go would bring life. But man, you got to bring before the Lord repentance and a full submission Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God 
meaning that those people who have been living by a, a spirit of poverty for all their lives, Jesus wants to renew them. And instead of them living by the spirit of poverty, Jesus wants to give them the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. So I want you to come on up. I want you to go and start making your way on up to the front.